stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off the Bench podcast. Now, we spend a lot of time at work, in fact, a hell of a lot of time at work, and more so than we spend with our families. And so, where we work and you know, our environment has to be a, an environment that is conducive to our well-being. Um, it doesn't mean we don't have stress, but it means that we it shouldn't be toxic and, you know, we, we shouldn't have factors that are actually psychologically damaging us. So today I have Tanya Heaney Voot with me, and she is a mentally healthy workplaces expert, a workplace change facilitator and certified leadership coach, helping leaders, teams and organisations to thrive in this rapidly changing and high demand world of work. She is the author of the book Transforming Norm, and she's also the creator of the Cracking the Change Code program, Supporting Effective Change in the Workplace. COVID has had a really severe impact on well-being and anything we can do to start addressing that and particularly in the workplace is truly truly valuable so anyway I'm no expert on this so the more I talk about it the deeper the hole I'm going to dig for myself so let's get Daniel on so she can really explain it in 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 her terms and and which she is an expert in this field so uh, let's get on with it welcome Tanya thank you it's a pleasure to be here Kes. Yeah, good to talk to you too. And I, well, not that I don't talk to you often, but oh. um, last week we had your uh, your book launch, and that was absolutely fantastic. And I just love it, and I love that you've written a book. But but it's not just a book. I just I love the work you do. It's it's so so critical for workplaces. We're going to get right into that. But you know, I think we've avoided it for way too long, and mm. now it's come back to bite us on the bum. So thank you for joining us to share some of these gold nuggets with us. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've been eyeing off your little podcast, thinking I'm going to get myself on there, guess one day, <laughs> with your very esteemed guests. I must say. So. <laughs> well, all you gotta do is ask. No, yeah. I, I shouldn't put that out there to everybody. <laughs> I, I don't want those. Uh, I don't want the ones telling me how to make six figures. You know that. that oh no. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it's good to have you, and it's and and, and I'm glad we've waited till you've launched the book because we can talk a lot about that. And from what I heard about the, um, from what I heard on the night of the book launch, uh, the the people who have read it and who have contributed to it are are saying how much of a difference that's going to make to workplaces. So, you know, um, anyway, I just think this is such an important topic and we are at work eight hours a day. Well, let's just just generalise for a minute. Yeah. If we're not, well, well, whatever the hours are, is that we are at work 
um, more than we're spending with our families. And if we're not freaking happy, you know, or if we're at least not not tolerating it to a point where it's not being destructive to us, you know, well, we're in a bad situation. So, um, you know, we've got to be able to, to, to look at that. So do you want to say anything before I ask you the first question? Because it's like <laughs> you're chomping at the bit to say something. <laughs> I was actually just wondering, I think it's kids going off plan again, but I'm having to get used to you. <laughs> it's a bit like the book launch. Okay. Well, my, my head thinks we're going this way, but maybe we're going another way. And okay, Tan, practice your adaptability skills. That's okay. I can do this. Uh, so go for it, kids. <laughs> drop me wherever you want to drop me. I'm just watching you rock in your chair. You yeah. know. <laughs> So I'll be in the fetal position by the end of this. Probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm providing you psychological safety, so just wrap yourself up in it. You know? Oh, gosh. I did a great post. Did you see? I did a great post last week of, um, you know, the Foxy Loxy and Chicken Little, you yeah, know, that, that yeah. old fable and uh, exactly that, you know, where the, where the fox is over the other side of the river saying, come on over, it's a psychologically safe space over here. Come on over. I'm not going to rip your head off. Uh, and really we we hear that a lot in workplaces where leaders or you know the head honcho is saying that it's a psychologically safe space to speak up but as soon as somebody does that it, you know they're punished there's there's those consequences that actually arise so you've just taken me back to that but I trust that you won't rip my head off. No, let, let's assume that I'm just another chicken and uh, <laughs> come over here to Chicken Little and we'll be fine. Okay, it's a deal. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, like you, you're very, very focused and very, very into, like you live and breathe psychological safety and, and mentally healthy workplaces. And I just love, I love your passion. Like you're so <laughs> into it. But not just because you're into it, you actually know it. You know, you you got to really extraordinary depth of knowledge you know sitting under that so what got you into this like, like what what started you focusing on mentally healthy workplaces like where's your background Give yeah us uh, okay it's a really long story isn't it so where do I start where do I finish uh look I think I think sometimes just life leads us to where we need to be it's a bit philosophical isn't it but you know I think most of my career um I've been working in I guess I would call servant type leadership roles. So uh, making change um, in the health sector. So I've never been one that's about, you know, working in the private sector and, and making shareholders ridiculously wealthy. I've always had roles where I felt like I was serving somebody, the community or even my team. And so I've always had a real passion for people and, and good humanity, I suppose, but also been really business driven. And over my career, there are times I felt that that's contradicted itself you know I've never quite I felt like you had to be one or the other you were either a real people and culture person or you were a hard-ass business person and and wanted you know big outcomes and I think about uh, six years ago I was in a senior leader role in the health sector and this pack came across my desk and it was from beyond blue and it was called mentally healthy workplaces and at first like many people when we talk about this um, at first I had a bit of a panic thinking hang on a minute is the workplace now going to stick your nose into individual privacy? You know, that was my first fear, I think. But when I actually pulled it out and digested this information and the intent and what it was about, I just had such a strong resonance. I felt like that discord I'd always felt, that head for people, heart for business, I felt like that finally had found its place because, you know, the, well, you can ask me in a minute about this, I'm sure, but a mentally healthy workplaces is about... It's about enabling organisational income outcomes rather through focusing on your people and 
supporting and building safe structures at work for your people. So it just felt like I'd finally found my space. You know, all that that time I'd been sort of struggling to feel like I would fit, mm. um, I just found it. And, yeah, it's just... I've, it's funny everyone keeps talking about how they see my passions often got me in trouble in my career I have to say because I've I've always been one that would shake the cage I would always call out you know call out the bullshit um particularly if there was injustice involved you know and even sort of socially and community wise that happens now but yeah my passion has got me into hot water over the course of my career a little bit you know people don't want to hear them when we start talking about psychological safety we talk about environments where where leaders are um are open to hear bad news. Well, you know, the reality is the majority, they don't want to know about it mm. because they don't necessarily know what to do with it. Yeah. So I think to, to get back to your original question, I think it's been this long evolution. Um, and I think, you know, when I opened that pack, the great work, the Beyond Blue and Heads Up and Mentally Healthy Workplaces Alliance did to, to start this work around creating mentally healthy workplaces, Just I just found my space and it's incredibly enriching and rewarding and I feel really blessed actually to do what I do. Mm, I love that. I love that answer. I get the passion thing. I'm, I'm full of passion and I get in trouble all the time. <laughs> but I'm never going to change. So, so kudos to you for bloody throwing your passion around like, you know, like bad eggs half the time, but it's bloody, it's, it's needed. You said a couple of things in there that um, are interesting. You know, you, you actually faltered and made a mistake and said about income rather than outcomes. Mm. But that's so relevant, you know, is, is this is what we we well, you know, managers workplaces fail to forget is that when you've got great outcomes in a mentally healthy way, your income is going Absolutely. to skyrocket. And so they can't actually be um, pulled apart. It's kind of like, no, 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 we're doing okay. We're making money. I don't want to screw it up, changing all these bloody mentally healthy shit, you know. And yet, and, and yet that is such a poor attitude. And, and I understand why, and we'll get into that. I do want to get into that because mm. I want to unpack that. But, but your bottom line is going to bloody be so bolstered because all of these people are coming to it that want to be there, that are that feel safe to be there, that feel safe to speak up, that feel safe to put their voice at the table, you know, and it's just such a big thing. There's something else you said in there too is at the start, you know, that I was always in this service, service mm. type um, mindset, I guess, mm. you know, frame, yep. this is what That's I want. That's yeah be and I want to help people and then but business it's it, it's like within this um you know the not-for-profit sector you know mm. it, it is such a bad a bad belief that is now being questioned and now being sort of confronted by a lot of strong people is that if you're in the not-for-profit not-for-profit sector and you you focus on serving the community you shouldn't be making money you should be doing this as a voluntary mm. thing and you should be helping people but and and I I agree with you because I've been stuck under that banner for a long time and it took me took me only until like I ring a couple of years ago until I budged myself out of it and said wait a second screw that if you make money you can make a bigger impact and that's bloody important so yeah I'm glad you touched on those things anyway I love your journey now you we're talking before we get too deep into it and um we lose anyone because, you know, some people are, oh, no, I don't want, no, I don't hear it. It's too hard and, you know, <laughs> stick with us because, you know, you, know um, you get some tips. Not only will you get some tips, um, there is a way to do this easier than you think, and that would be by buying a book. But anyway, let's keep into it. What is a, what is a mentally healthy workplace? Like what, is, what does that look like? 
Yeah, well, there's a few, obviously, there's a few different definitions, but I guess the concept initially is a, a workplace, really, that has recognised the role work plays in our individual psychological and emotional well-being. Um, as you said, we spend an inordinate amount of time in the workplace, so it stands to reason it's going to have an impact on us. And a mentally healthy workplace is one that has recognised that and wants to or has proactively taken steps to foster the positive aspects of work and mitigate the negative aspects of work on our well-being. Um, and really, they've recognised that people are at the heart of its productivity and, and customer interactions and that this sort of positive and safe workplace culture ultimately, like we've just been saying, enables their organisational success, whether that's profit or service yeah, or a healthy combination of both. Well, I think it's a healthy combination of both. And, mm. and it's... You know, I know there's resistance. I get why we're going. To, I'm going to unpack that because I mm. want you to. I want you to tell us why there's resistance, and I I get it because at first it's kind of like this is too big, but and we'll get into that. But uh, why why wouldn't you want? I don't just don't understand why you would allow bullying, why you would allow intimidation, why you would allow people to feel like shit. Well, you know, like uh, like. It's just not even acceptable in society, let alone in the workplace, do you, you know, that, that you mm-hmm. deliberately foster an environment that wouldn't support people. Do you, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know what's going on. I don't care what anyone says. People say, oh, I didn't, I didn't know about that. I, I didn't realise there was, um, you know, Johnny was uh, having a crack at Mary all the time. Yes, you, yes, you do. You know, and, and I'm, you know, the, I hope I don't offend any of your clients, but the t- truth is we know it's there. It's the elephant in the room. Let's ignore it. And let's yeah. get bigger and bigger, yeah. but but we've got to get better at, at, at addressing it before. The, if we can, if we can get everyone on side and we lead the elephant out of the room, that's nice. And if we can get it out through a doorway and only pull one wall down, that's nice too. <laughs> if we shoot it in the head, and, I, oh. and I'm not like that because I'm an animal, right? So yeah, we've still got to step over this carcass, or, or else the walls fall down, and we've got to start building the house again. All we got left is a floor. So it doesn't make any sense to just continually uh, avoid these topics. So, mm. um. You kind of touched on it, but let's go a little bit deeper. And, you, you know, you talked about a mentally healthy workplace, but psychological safety, I mean, you know, that, that's got to, it, it's, if you just want to come to work, just do your thing, oh, for God's sake, I've got a business, I just want to do my thing. You start talking psychological safety. You start, it sort of brings up connotations of um, psychiatrist and psychology, yeah. you know, it brings up that. So what does it actually mean in in really simple terms that a, a, a manager or workplace owner, business owner might go, ah, oh, that's just so much yeah. um, looser, you know? Okay. I'm, go- I'm just going to step back up. I'm going to go up a level first, Kes, because, uh, you know, I'm going to try and make this as simple as it possibly can be because, you know, like we like to do with frameworks and academia and legislation, we have 15 different names for things. So, you know, we don't make it easy. I say we, I actually am taking no responsibility for that. Uh (laughs) Um, But I just want to go up a bit. Everybody knows in the workplace around occupational health and safety, around physical health and safety. We all get that. We all get the trips, slips, hazards, all of that sort of stuff. We all get that we need to look out for our physical well-being. So they are under OH&S. If we see OH&S as the umbrella, our workplace occupational health and safety, 
on, you know, one side of that umbrella, we've got physical health and safety. Again, we all get it. We've been playing in this space for a long, long time. And then on the other side, we've got psychological health and safety. That's been in legislation for some time, but it's much harder because people don't get it. You can't see it necessarily. So, so what is it? And because it's such an evolving space, we're, we're learning more and more and more about the factors at work that actually are known to impact us psychologically. And this is pre, pre-pandemic, right? All COVID's done is shone a light on stuff that was already there, exposed cracks that were already sitting there. They're just now, you know, crevices. So we've always had this obligation to proactively mitigate the risks of harm psychologically and physically. Going back to that side of psychological health and safety, underneath that sit two aspects. This is where it gets a bit mind boggling. One of those is this concept of psychological safety. So psychological safety is used all the time when people actually mean psychological health and safety. There's an absolute thread, but they're two different things technically. So under the big banner now of psychological health and safety, on one arm, we have this concept of psychological safety, which is what we would, there's a number of definitions, but what we might call um, an environment of rewarded vulnerability. So it's a, a program of work where you proactively implement these strategies that help create environments that are safe for people to speak up, uh, where people feel that they won't be humiliated or punished if they make a mistake, uh, where people feel safe to contribute their ideas, their questions, their concerns and mistakes. So psychological safety has become a bit of a buzzword and there's so much misunderstanding about that. I just wanted to take the time to clarify mm. that. Mm. So again, big heading now of psychological health and safety, one arm, psychological safety. And this is a concept that we want to build in the workplace. We want to build and foster this. We want people to feel included. We want people to feel safe to learn and safe to make a mistake. Not that we're encouraging it, but if someone makes a mistake, they shouldn't get their head ripped off. Mm. They shouldn't be yelled at and abused. Because how will that help future learning? You know, we have to make it safe to say, whoops, damn it, I just stuffed up big time. Can we just look at this? What, what were the factors to do with this error? And let's address those factors so this doesn't happen again. So the other thing is, you know, contributions. We want people to feel safe to contribute. This is how we evolve. This is how we innovate. Mm. If we shut down contributions and ideas from people, we're just going to be doing the same thing we've been doing for the last 20 years. Mm. How's that working out for you right now? Yep. You know, we're in this VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. We're in this rapid, rapid state of change we've never experienced. It's unprecedented. If we are just doing things that we've been doing for the last 20 years, we're going to be left behind. Mm. So we have to change and we've got to be enabling contributions from the people in our workforce that bring diverse views and perspectives. And we have to make it safe to challenge the status quo. None of this, well, this is the way we've always done it nonsense that drives me bonkers so that psychological safety is this program of work where we're really looking at um, building that it's almost I suppose emotional safety isn't it into the workplace where we will um, foster those things that enable teams to collaborate really well to get this great innovation Um, and if people want to explore that go and google project Aristotle was actually a big study done at Google where they studied high-performing teams because the concept of psychological safety uh, is now considered to be the single most important factor in a high-performing team. So that psychological safety is about team performance, high-performance, innovation, really important in today's workplace, any workplace. The other side of our big psychological health and safety overarching heading is psychological harm prevention. Mm. 
uh, this is when I need a whiteboard. <laughs> I'm struggling yeah, not being able to draw. <laughs> so, ah, I've got too many arms going everywhere. So, so there's, you know, one is about we want to we want to protect people from harm, and the other is we want to build these positive factors that we know contribute to great team and organisational outcomes. Mm. So, uh, when we're talking about psychological harm prevention. And you rightly were talking about discrimination, bullying, you know, requirements, legislative requirements to address those have been around for eons. And what tends to happen is people just have a mandatory training program. And I call that a transactional approach. Mm. Transactional won't fix the problem. It mm. addresses a compliance requirement, but it doesn't fix the problem. We need transformational yep. activities. We need to look at the systems, the behaviours, all of those factors that actually contribute to those behaviours in the first place. And in my book, there's a whole checklist about are you a workplace that is more predisposed to bullying? Because there's a number of factors that we know that evidence shows if you've got these at play, you're more likely to have bullying environments. Fascinating that you can actually mm. predict. Mm. So psychological harm prevention is those. It's around inclusion, diversity and inclusion. And we know that we still have, you know, um, overt exclusion in workplaces and yeah. Uh, Indigenous people, religions other than Christian, LGBTIQ+, they're the top three that are still being discriminated against in workplaces. Mm. Um, the Diversity Council of Australia do a, a study every two years and that uh, gives some great results. But broader than those things, kids, which I think, you know, people are really aware of, we've got all of these other factors in the design and management of work that are impacting people psychologically. And they're happening every day. And these are things that workplaces aren't aware of and aren't taking steps to proactively address. So we, these are our work-related stress risks. Now might be time for people to go and get a stiff drink, but they're also <laughs> known as, well, this does my head in too. You know, even when I was writing the book, I had to, you know, I did so much research to try and land all this language because it's 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 a shitstorm, quite frankly, and it just doesn't help people. So those things, those work-related stress risks are also called psychosocial hazards. Okay. This is the language just does not help. And and my my plea to people is always don't get caught up in the language, don't let it overwhelm you, just stay focused on what you're trying to achieve. And that is to address those factors that work that contribute to poor psychological well-being. That's it. It's as simple mm. as that. So the other factors that we know cause work-related stress, those psychosocial hazards, are things like workload. Mm. And, and this is one of the most pressing issues I'm seeing across all of my clients and industries at the moment, work overload. It was there before COVID, but now it's being exacerbated tenfold because of staff absences with the flu, COVID, all sorts of other things. Um, work underload, so not having enough enriching and meaningful tasks to do, that's mm. also a work-related stress risk. Occupational violence and aggression, which we all know about in the health sector, it's also in education, and now it's in retail. Everyone's copying abuse from everyone. Mm. Um, I heard on the radio last week a uh, GP clinic in Altona was struggling to get reception staff because they're so sick of being abused by the, the patients. So, you know, there's wow. so many other factors. There's um, the environmental conditions that you're working in, the heating, cooling, the environment. We know that working from home was great. It also has added a, a mental load to people, right? So there's also additional risks that come with all the work from home, inability to separate home and work. Poorly managed change is a high flyer. And with the rate of workplace change, the significant amount of change over the last two years, even in office, out office, different ways of working, the way we manage change in the workplace significantly impacts on our employees, significantly. It's a huge one I see all the time. Mm. 
I feel like I might be just be on a soapbox, Cass. So you might need to just well, I was <laughs> rein gonna, me I was, in now. I was about to bloody stop you because <laughs> in my head, it's doing my head in. But but the point is, the point <sighs> is though, it's you can see why it becomes big, you know. And it is and, big. But yeah, it, you, I can see why it becomes big. I can see why all these, um, mm. you know, these words and the language is just sort of oh. a little bit intimidating and everything else. But at the end of the day, everything you're saying, and, and yes, there's a lot of hidden factors, you know, it's kind of like mm. you have to sort of crack the can open mm. before you actually find a lot of these hidden factors. But I, I still think that we we just have to get we just have to get some momentum in the right direction. Let's just get started. Yeah. And and sometimes we're like, now well that, that doesn't affect my workplace. You know, I know that I know that Johnny up the road, he's having some shit going on up there, but not not here. Everyone's happy. You know, but I haven't done a survey in 10 years, but I know everyone's happy. Did, yep. you know, and have you got sick leave? Yeah, yes, bloody buses don't come, you know. And uh, around, have you got this? Yeah, but, you know, this is still happy. And I and I know this for a fact because I had a conversation with someone just last week who was saying exactly that stuff. So it, it is not, it is, it, you know, it's it's kind of like we're burying our heads like echidnas and just mm. hoping that God it goes away and hoping my prickles just send people off. Mm. Have you got any stats, like like just sort of mm. to, you know, drive this home? Are there any stats around um, workplaces being unsafe or unsafe, so being unsafe psychologically? You know, anything like that? Yeah. So we know that um, upheld work cover claims are significantly increasing. So the latest stats we've got in wow. Victoria is between 2017 and 2019. Um, mental injury claims so they were upheld increased by 20 percent wow so in that two-year period now pre-pandemic right so that's frightening uh we also know that frontline workers and the public sector are disproportionately represented in that 20 percent again if you consider the impact on those workers over the last two years you know i'm a little bit fearful of what those stats are going to look like going forward because that's pretty scary stuff Mm. In 2020, um, Australia's Productivity Commission conducted an inquiry into mental health and its impact on our, our GDP, I suppose, our productivity. Uh, and in its report, they revealed a cost of it. So there's a whole lot of different um, figures depending mm. on the variables you're considering, but generally $16 billion in lost productivity wow. every year as a result of poor workplace mental health. And that's lost you know, presenteeism, um, absenteeism, mm. disengagement. So this is broader impact on your workplace culture. So for me, there's this thing about, okay, we're talking about mental injury claims. That's the far end point. There are so many people that never take things that far. Mm. They mm. spend years in this disengaged, disgruntled, tired, you know, really fatigued, disappointed state at the state of their workplace, hoping things will get better. They're not at their best. They're not thriving. They're not bringing everything. They're not the most productive they've ever been when no one is when you're in that state, you know, this state of deflation, really. And so there's this whole impact on the workplace. It's not, but we only talk about the mental injury claims, right? But there's a whole lot of impact beforehand. So imagine that if our, if the people who are actually taking steps to go through that, the trauma of going to your OHS department and saying, okay, I, you know, I need to go on stress leave. I've got a doctor's clearance, you know, that's because there's still a huge amount of stigma. So the ones that are actually take those steps to do that, if we see that, the, you know, that's increasing by 20%, two and a half years ago, imagine the increase in all the other 
mm. impact on productivity and cultural impact. Hence this great resignation that everybody just feels so, you know, oh, this just happened. The thing I don't like about the great resignation is I feel like it's giving people an excuse to sit back and go, well, it's nothing I can do. It's just the way it is out there. And yeah. I call absolute bullshit on that because I see this as an opportunity to foster the great retention. So don't mm. just sit back and let and bleed staff due to this phenomenon you feel you've got no control over. Rubbish. You have got control over it. Mm. God, that's frightening. You know, when you say, you know, there's 20 percent, I agree with you, 2017 to 2019, mm. pre-COVID, mm. and, and I'm going to estimate, and, and, you know, I'm not an expert in this field. You're more of an expert, but you still don't know. But I'm going to I'm going to just throw my hat in the ring because you shouldn't because it'll look bad for you. But I'm going to say it's probably up to 60%. You know, I don't care what anyone says. You know, um, you know it's... It's yeah, I, I think I don't want to, Kez. I think that's so, – so it was increased by 20%. Um, we were at 16% of all compensable claims that were um, mental injury claims over physical injury claims. Um, I don't want to. I'm actually terrified of what it's going to look like. So last year, um, Superfriend released their indicators of a thriving workplace report, and they survey 10,000 workers nationally, and their results, they were pretty scary. So they showed that one in four workers believe they have a mental health condition that were caused or made worse. So, you know, a quarter of all workers potentially. So that's probably more realistic because that's gauging their, their mental well-being at any point in time as opposed to just those who have actually um, submitted a claim and it's been upheld. So, you know, the, the data is pretty clear. Like things are not going up. And this was before COVID, right? Like COVID has, I've been doing this work for five years. So, you know, this 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 stuff has been around before COVID. COVID's just made it worse and also just shone a light on it for many people because they're now talking about mental well-being a little bit more in the workplace because everyone's yeah. felt the effects, right? And, and you, you know, you're talking about um, to, and and I, don't, I still don't think 60% is too much because, oh, you, you, I don't think people are reporting it, you know, and, and, yeah. and also I don't think people are identifying it. Do you, you know, it's just sort of, and, and, and before you were saying, uh, you know, the, the courage it takes or the stigma it takes to, mm. to go and actually go and say, I'm taking stress leave and it's going to go on work cover and, and all that kind of stuff. The, the There's so many people who don't actually get to that point and they would perhaps, it wouldn't go on record to say it was a workplace stress. However, outside of work, you know, they're going home, they end up, and I'm going to go right down the bloody shit show path here, they end up with bloody cancer, they end up with diabetes, they end up with stress that causes other bloody illnesses and that. And then they blame life. Oh, gee, I don't know why I'm sick, Do you, you know, and I'm, but... And I'm not not blaming them. I'm just saying that 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 the focus then becomes on what they're in their personal life, you know. Yeah. But it's it's a lot of the if you're not happy at work for eight hours a freaking day, you know, you're going to be churning up so much shit within your body, so much shit within your mind. You know, you're going to end up bloody sick. And yeah. these are the these are the ones that don't end up documented as workplace hazards or workplace injuries or workplace whatever. They end up as life. Oh, she she's sick. Too bad. And it's not fucking too bad because we need to address it. We need to take care of people. So, yeah, and, yeah. well, if those stats are like that and growing, why all workplaces will at least have heard of it and 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 recognise that, or at least heard that? So yeah. why why aren't they why aren't they taking action? Why is it like why is it still like pulling teeth? 
Yeah, I think uh, for all the reasons that we've identified in our early conversation, it's confusing. The language is confusing and overwhelming. Um, There's still so much misunderstanding of what a mentally healthy workplace is. There's myths that we want everyone to be, you know, rugged up with a comfy blankie, feet on the desk sipping lattes rather than working, you know, that we're going to turn into this social club kind of laser, (laughs) fair fueled leadership environment. And that's nonsense. But absolutely, that's exactly where people go because it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? A mentally healthy workplace. If you asked, you know you did a random sample of people what do you think a mentally healthy workplace is oh one where there's no stress where the boss doesn't want me to do anything where I can just sit and chat all day you know and absolutely not that is absolutely not this is about outcomes and productivity right but it's about realizing that we want our people we, we want to create an environment where people can be their best and when they're their best the organization can be their best um so you know the language the definition Absolutely. Um, There is still a stigma. There is a fear. um, Even organisations that have the right intent um, that want to do something, I think there's still a a myth that leaders have to become counsellors and that's absolutely not what we're talking about at all. Um, You know, leaders should just be having a check-in with their people. It shouldn't all be about uh, KPIs. It should be about how you're going, how you're travelling. One of the things I always say in my training workshops is, you know, if you saw one of your team walking across the, the office holding their arm, what would you say? You know, and they will go, well, yeah, I'd ask if they were okay. I said, okay. So if you see that they're not traveling well, wouldn't you just, you know, emotionally or psychologically, mm-hmm. wouldn't you just ask a question and direct them to help? You don't need to be a medical doctor to ask someone if they're holding their arm, if they're okay, any more than you need to be a psychologist to ask someone how they're mm-hmm. traveling and redirect them to appropriate support. But it's just about care, right? The problem with that is, and I so you know when I was when I taught disability, you know we teach I'd teach about people with say Down syndrome, which is an obvious disability, and mm. people with autism, which you couldn't see, you know, unless you knew yeah. the person and, and observed the behaviours. And it's that it's that kind of that same thing is I can't see it, you know. Therefore, I'm just assuming what's going on in yeah. somebody's head. And I also think the other thing is you you sort of you said in there that you know, about opening cans of worms and, and a fear. You didn't say this, but I'm going to I'm gonna put my two bobs worth in because now I'm suddenly an expert on it because we've been talking <laughs> talking for more than 10 minutes, right? Um, is, is it I bet that people, two managers, have a fear that if I open this can of worms, I'm going to suddenly be confronted by the knowledge that someone in my workforce, or more than one, has is, is, isn't happy. Yeah, or, or has a mental health condition that I wasn't aware of, and now I've got a freaking address. Now I've got to make space for that. Do you, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like the head in the sand. If I just don't do anything, yep, maybe maybe it'll never become a problem. Yeah, I think there's so there's lots and lots of factors. You know, for me, <clears throat> it's about you know we need to look at this as an organisational focus I mean it's, it's about transformation at the organizational level it doesn't happen overnight right yeah. so I mean and that's one of the other barriers to this is that it's transformational work which means it needs an investment of time and attention and it needs you know three we talk about a three-year transformation journey generally when I'm doing transformation projects um, to make it stick yeah. and we're in this world of instant gratification people want quick wins quick fixes so the reality you know of facing into three-year project to really transform to a mentally healthy workplace 
you know, is a barrier for people as well. But, you know, we don't, like I said, we don't flick a switch. This doesn't happen overnight. There's so much that we can do along the way that we're going to get great wins from as we're moving through this transformation mm. journey. But, mm. yeah, look at this, you know, at an organisational level and at the leadership level and at the employee level, there's lots of barriers. You know, yeah. if you're not in a psychologically safe workplace, you're not going to say, actually, boss, I'm not travelling well, even if they ask you. Yeah. You know, so that's why it's quite integrated. All of the work we do is designed to mitigate all of those potential issues. You know, we want the first thing I encourage people to do is you know, look at your case for change. Where do you currently sit? Like, what do you think your issues currently are? And when I work with them in my Transforming Norm program, which underpins the book, we do all that. We do the current state analysis. What are your current problems? What's going on for you currently? Where do things sit? And that's anecdotal too, not just what your data shows, because we know yeah. the data doesn't show everything. Yeah. I've worked in an organisation who, you know, in their People Matter survey, which is a public sector engagement survey, um, their psychological climate score said they were very good and it was the most toxic environment I'd ever worked in. So, you know, I, I, it's not all just about the data. It's a vibe. It's a feel too, right? Um, and so we look at the current state and then we go, okay, what's next? You know, do you have a business case for change? Sometimes I'm working with people and culture leaders and we're putting together a business case to lobby to the CEO and to the board to actually sign off on some investment in this work to support the people and culture teams because it shouldn't sit with them, you know, to get this systemic change happening. Um, so, you know, yeah, depending on where the organisation is, you start there and you just incrementally move along. When we've got the case for change, when we've got a bit of sign-off and we know what the current state is, then we look at psychological safety. That's the first thing I do is roll out psychological safety training to all people leaders. And then we roll out psychological harm. So the common causes of workplace psychological harm. We roll that out to workplace leaders as well. So there's two half-day workshops. Yeah. And Big impacts. And, and, and by the way, anyone listening and wants to get Tanya in, please do because she's bloody brilliant at this <laughs> and will transform your workplace. But, you know, I think we also need to say here is, you know, and I've sort of, I've sort of gone, well, why wouldn't you? You know, people don't do it. Their managers don't do it. But I'm going to also sort of counteract that and say that I do know for a fact that many, many do do it, you know, and, and are working with Tanya and really do want to do this. So so I, I'm I'm certainly not saying that um you know that it's everyone out there doesn't want to do it because I know they do. So um but anyway you also talk about um mental injury and I am just curious about that because you know you're talking about my uh we've got mental illness, we've got psychological safety, mental healthy work, but then you got then the other night I heard you throw in mental in injury and I'm like, yeah. far out. He's another bloody word. <laughs> I know, I know. And look, I'm a bit of a shocker because I do tend to use them interchangeably as well, which I apologise for in my book. I put that up front. Um, so, and you also asked me a pearler of a question at uh, the book launch that I couldn't answer, but we had someone in the room who could. So, you know, that's what it's all about, right? To safety to learn. Uh, so... Um, if we go back to those things in the design or management of work that we know, we know through evidence and research, we know um, cause workplace stress. So again, that horrible um, psychosocial hazards terminology. <clears throat> psychosocial hazards cause workplace stress. Workplace stress in itself is not necessarily a problem, right? Not necessarily a problem. It's not like we're trying to avoid stress because actually, and I don't need any leaders taking this and putting this on T-shirts and exploiting their staff as a result of this, what I'm about to say, but actually um, 
human beings need a little bit of stress. Like we need a little bit of reason to get out of bed every morning. Um, Dr. Adam Fraser's book, Strive, Embracing the Gift of Struggle, talks a lot about that. Um, losing my train of thought after going down another rabbit <laughs> hole there. Anyway, so stress in itself is not necessarily a problem. It's when that stress is severe, prolonged or unmanaged. Mm. If we don't address that, then we are at risk of someone experiencing a mental injury. So, and I would also call that psychological harm, workplace psychological yeah. harm. Yeah, I know, the terminology just drives me mad. Um, you asked the question the other day, well, what's the difference between a mental illness and a mental injury? And one of our listeners, Kate, who is a, um, a chief mental health nurse, so brilliant audience, uh, just clarified for us that the mental injury is just the term we would use in the workplace. It's the same as a mental illness. So essentially, work has caused someone to have a mental illness yeah. or made an existing managed condition worse because it didn't address that work-related stress factor. And, and you don't have to have a mental illness, underlying mental illness, to get a mental Ill no. injury. So, and, but, but if you do get a mental injury, it could then perpetuate a long-term mental illness. So it, it's pretty critical Correct. that we get, um, that, that we prevent at every turn. You know, it's... Yeah. We can. And look, I think we've all worked. I mean, I certainly have kids. I think we all worked in an organisation where we felt you know, it was having an impact, a negative impact on our psychological yeah. well-being. And, and the majority of people just get up and leave. But not everybody has that luxury, right? Mm. So for those that can't avoid it, you know, or can't leave it or don't feel safe to leave it, you know, they're, they're stuck there being impacted by it. Mm. So and Particularly women over 45 who fall into that category um, of, you know, homelessness, uh, um, being too old to get a job. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that is. Yeah, that's uh, the, you know, the, the risk. So, that they stay. Mm. And, and, then, and then, which I think is a lot a crock of shit, do, you know, mm. because, like, I'm, I'm nearly 60. I don't ever fear that I'm going to be out of work. But if you're feeling like, if, if you're feeling like society doesn't um, value you because you're over 45, I'm going to be left, you know, I'm not going to get another job, I'm going to be yeah. stuck on the on the shelf. You're going to put up with a lot more shit. You know, you, you're just going to you're going to sit there and put up with it because you're like, I can't, I, I can't do anything about it because if I leave, I might not get another job. And that is terrible for a person to be feeling that that is bloody that, yeah, that's, that's abuse. That, you know, that's bloody awful. So and when we feel like we've got no control, as you know, yeah. that that there's nothing worse, more destabilising than yeah. that. Absolutely. Um, I just feel like I need to balance the equation a little bit here, Kez, because uh, so, well, I think we see it all from a humanity perspective. Um, but also, you know, I've led teams and I, I've um, been, you know, had responsibility for people and culture across a whole complex organisation. And I've seen some pretty poor workplace behaviours of others as well. So, you know, I don't, I feel like everyone has a role here. Um, Timothy R. Clark, he is also um, a social, uh, social scientist and researcher in the space of psychological safety. He says we all have a role as cultural architects of our workplace. Um, so, you know, whilst we've been talking a lot about the organisational factors, every individual in the workplace can make or break it. You know, I, I, again, we've all probably seen some really crappy behaviour from individuals. Um, so, you know, just taking note of our own role and how how we're choosing to show up and what we're choosing to bring to the people around us in our workplace is very important as well. 
Mm, it's very much like OHS, though, isn't it? You know, it's um, if you, you and, and how they changed it, you know, it used to be the responsibility of the business owner or the manager or something, you know, they'd mm. be in trouble if there was something done. And now they then they changed it to that, no, if you see it and you don't report it, yeah, yeah that's your responsibility. And I, and I think that, yeah, I, I, I love that. Now tell us about, because we're going to get down another rabbit burrow again and I'm not going to get time to ask you all the good stuff. Or well, it's all good stuff. No, you've, you've got a... Um, a cracking the change code program. Tell us I about have. that. I have. Oh, I just love that program. I think a lot of people in workplaces are charged with leading change projects, but they've not got any change management training or experience. And, you know, that puts them in a vulnerable position, but also we know where true change methodology is used, the, the outcomes are uh, significantly higher. So the project really, um, the program, I established to work one-on-one -on -one with those people in the organisations that we're charged with that. And it's a lovely blend of coaching, consulting um, and training. So for me, it's about building that capacity in the organisation so they've got future change capability. And I provide a lot of templates and tools for them to retain so they can uh, make future change projects easier. But we work one-on-one -on -one together very closely. We plan out their program, including their, their change communication and their change strategy. Uh, and then we have tactical coaching sessions. And I've worked with, and I actually love it. Um, I really love developing people. So I like to see the, the progress when I'm working one-on-one -on -one over that six month period. And just to see the organizational outcomes because you know when they apply some of the methodologies that I'll speak to them about, you know, they always just come back so uh, lifted because they've seen it in action, they've seen it work in action, and, and that's a great reinforcing um, activity for their learning as well. So, I mean, I've done uh, lots of they, lots of HR projects people are implementing, so new uh, performance review and development frameworks, um, organisational realignments, change, um, the Gender Equality Act has been a big one. So there's about seven organisations I've worked with uh, under this program to implement the Gender Equality Act. In a way, that's about embedding um, new ways of thinking and working, you know, getting into change hearts and minds, not tick and flick compliance, which is, you know, really meaningful work. So transformational work. I don't do transactional, right? Uh, and I'm about to um, put out a program, uh, an adapted version of this for the new proposed OHS psychological health and safety regs as well to help organisations really get lift of that, you know, get it in, be really clear on what it is and actually get buy-in and action and traction uh, mm. in that six months, early six months. So, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Feedback's been amazing. Uh, it's a program I'll continue. It's, um, yeah, really powerful and I love it. And we know poorly managed workplace change. Like I said, it's right up there as a frequent flyer, contributor yeah. of work-related stress. You know, yeah. we're, we're still in this tell mode. Well, I'm just going to tell you what we're doing and expect you to, to catch on. Um, but actually it doesn't work that way just because, yeah. in you know, in your mind, we tend to see this linear approach where there's a list of tasks and whoever's leading it just goes, well, I've done all the tasks so the change is successful, but actually... The people who had to make a change, they're still doing the old thing. They haven't come up. So, you know, just because it's finished on paper doesn't make it, you haven't transformed or changed anything. Yeah. And I love I, I love what you're saying about it's not linear. I don't think any change mm. is linear. It's holistic no. and it's, you know, yep. bits all over the place. And each bit, each bit starts to, you know, amplify the next bit. And it just, mm. it just, 
Now, I agree with you. Now, you talked in there, you say, I don't do transactional. Um, mm -hmm. I do transforming. So that's a beautiful, beautiful segue to lead me into. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you have just launched your book, Transforming More. I have. We had, the, we had the launch. It was just marvellous. And as I said earlier, there was a lot of comments about how it's making big change. But um, you tell us, in your, from your words, how... Tell us about the book and tell us how you think it's going to um, help workplaces and get things moving. Yeah. So the book is called Transforming Norm, Leading the Change to a Mentally Healthy Workplace. And I think the gold of it is in one powerful punch of a book, you've got your, your whole complete you know, transformation guidebook, right? So you've got why this is important, how you can build a case for change internally if you don't have, um, you know, leadership sign-off and buy-in or budget. Um, it's got the what you need to do and, more importantly, it's got the how. So most of the legislative stuff, like there's some great guidance material on WorkSafe website, for example, around um, psychological health and safety in the workplace, but it's very much the what we still don't get the clarity on, well, actually, okay, so this is what it says I'm supposed to be doing, but yeah, uh, what's the context for my workplace? Yeah, how does how does this work in my workplace and how would I implement that? Like, what is a control measure for workload management? You know, what, what the hell am I supposed to do about it? Um, so the book is just like this holistic A to Z, here you go, here it is, great actionable strategies and there's, so I've had um, a HR lawyer provide insight and review the whole book and uh, and a inspector from WorkSafe New South Wales. And uh, you know, they'd have, anyway, I won't go off on a tangent there. But so, you know, there's really good regulatory oversight, but very evidence-based strategies along with strategies I've, I've worked with my clients on and I've seen actually work. The other thing that I love about the book, and I think this is where it's quite unique, is that it does have, one, well, it does have the how, but it ha has change management methodology embedded in it. And so your organisations are getting, you know, two for one, really. They're getting a guidebook on how to lead successful change with the topic mentally healthy workplaces. So I'm really proud of that. I think that's, it's um, quite unique. And there's just, there's no other book like this out there. It's, um, it's practical. Hopefully a bit of my fun personality has come through as well because, you know, there's a lot of dry material out there in this space and I like to think that I, I zhush it up a bit, Kez. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just cool. a go-to guide, really. Yeah. Early feedback's just amazing. I, um, I had yeah. a, a leader who purchased a copy uh, contact me over the weekend saying she wants 29 copies, one for every one of her staff members and her board wow. and her um advisory group or something so I know I was like okay well that's great that's so fabulous yeah yeah that's really good it's definitely uh, hitting the mark so that's great and like you say there's nothing like it out there but it, but I think what's good about it one is it's complex and it's you know complete like it's well as complete as we've got the information at the moment you know what yeah and and, and and but it is also simple steps on how you know it's applicable and 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 a lot of books will tell you all the like you said all the like the work safe checklist yeah and there's not that kind of like you know anecdotal well this is how you do it you know this yeah is how, and even even this is how you can start it you know because you know you, you're not going to buy the book probably and just transform your entire workplace in the next month but if you get, <laughs> if you get started with a few steps you know it starts to get the momentum going starts to it starts to let everybody know in that space this is what we care about and this is this is where we're going with this so I yeah, look, 
awareness is the first stage of change. So when we you know, talk about change methodology, there's lots of different change models, but I use the ADCAR model under ProSci. But, you know, awareness is the first in that acronym. And so this is about awareness. So get it out there, you know, um, start sharing the information, start sharing the case for why. Like we always need to lead with why. This is why we need to start talking about this. That's the transformation. The transformation is the hearts and minds, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what needs to transform. Yeah. That's yeah. the hard part. The fun part, it's the stuff I absolutely love. But, you know, that's that's why people revert to transactional, I think, because it's easier and they can see, hey, I've completed something. Pick a box. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I think human beings are very complex and, you know, stuck in our ways and we have deep, deep-rooted belief systems and everything else. But mm. at the end of the day, the other part to that is we all want to be happy and we all want peace, you know, we all want to we all want a better life so um, yeah we have to focus more on that end of it but now a so you I wanted you on here because you've gotten off the bench uh you're getting off the bench and helping people in their workplaces <laughs> which I think yes. is pretty magnificent you're also getting off the bench writing a book but a lot of people are put off by the daunting task of writing a book because you know it's kind of like, well there's a couple of reasons one say well I've got nothing to write about no one wants to hear what I've got to say you know there's a whole lot of that that, that self-defeating talk as well on the other hand, there is also, it's a lot of freaking work, Do you, you know, so, and it puts a lot of people off. So what made you decide to, um, what made you decide that a book was a great, another great, another great avenue to get you? <laughs> oh, look, I've got so much to say. Um you know, I didn't have a captive audience for all of the things I wanted to say, so I thought a book was a great way to put it. Uh, look, I've always been a, a writer. I actually studied professional writing and editing in a in a previous life, and um, I love writing. I have two uh, fiction manuscripts tucked up the back of my cupboard there. So, you know, when I'm dead and the kids have to come and go through the house to clean everything out, they're going to unpack this. <laughs> they're going to read these, you know, bodice rippers, kids, and then they go, Mother, what the hell, you know? <laughs> anyway so you know I don't mind writing I actually really enjoyed the writing side of it I mean I think for me the biggest challenge was trying to balance the the need for this to have academic rigor you know Mm -hmm. and because we're talking about legislation in some cases but I I was not going to go anywhere near that Mm -hmm. but to make it a readable fun enjoyable practical book and you know just balance that bring me bring my personality but also give it enough so people um knew they were being supported with evidence base, I think, yeah. but not in a really bloody boring way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I've succeeded at that mostly. I'm sure the readers will soon tell me. <laughs> well, they're already telling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, readability was really important to me because we've all, no one's got the headspace to try and figure out what someone's yeah. trying to say. Like, just say it. What are you trying to tell me here? You know? Oh, I agree. I, I can't stand books that are full of bloody fluff. I just want the, I just mm. want the juice. Um, it's and like you say, you've got so much to say, you can't say it all in unless someone books you for an entire program. You know, it's very hard to get it all out there and everything else. But a book is a great way to reach those that you're not going to reach. And for every workplace that even starts to make any small change, you know, that that we're we're moving in the right direction. So it's going to be very extremely valued by um those who read it. And oh, anyway, so now. I have absolutely loved this conversation. You're a bloody gem. Um, you, you went down a few rabbit burrows that got a bit deep, but I tell you uh, what, um, people who are, uh, are needing to 
have a workplace that, that's needing change are going to get so much value out of everything that you've spoken about. And I think it's so critical, but not but, but is my and question. And <laughs> if workplaces want to start getting off the bench and build a, a culture of psychological safety, where can they start? Other than buy your book. You just go buy the book. If for Christ's sake, it's only 30 bucks and you, have, you start making a change. Done. But other, other than that, what, what else... Yeah, I think so for me, it's always about just take that one step. You know, I said this last week at the book launch because this can seem monumental and you use the an elephant analogy and I have another one, you know, uh, how do you eat an elephant kind of thing, one, you know, one toe at a time. Um, just get off the bench and start doing one thing. And if that is, you know, head to my website, read the blogs, read the free resources I've got there. Like that's all free, yeah, free. Yeah. It's not going to cost anyone anything. And just start to deepen your knowledge on this. <clears throat> Hit me up for a, a 15 minute chat and let's just see what this looks like for your workplace. You know, again, it's free. There's plenty of um, ways just to start this journey to see mm. what this might look like for you. And I think the other thing is don't feel like you've got to do it all in the next, like I said, in the next month. It's impossible. It's mm. not. This is a, um, this is transformation. This is slow run, but there are things you can do. And I've got this in the book. There are things you can do early that get huge momentum that help energize you and keep the buy-in internally. So, you know, it's not like you've got to wait three years before you can see any achievement, right, or see any success. Mm. It's no yeah. way because who can sustain that? I can't sustain that. I don't want that for my clients either. So, you know, you can get big wins really early, um, really big wins. Uh, the psych safety training is so powerful. It always shifts people. You know, I've had um, really tradey type um, attendees who have responded to me afterwards and said, I thought that was all just going to be a wank, you know, <laughs> but actually it was really good. You know, and really, you know, that really meant a lot to me because he, he showed up pretty engaged. So it was interesting to know that that had been his feeling before coming. But, um, you know, I loved that, that someone could still be influenced to come with that attitude. So it's powerful training. So if that's it, you know, invest in a half day workshop, like again, you know, big wins, small things, but ultimately you want to look at a longer term vision, right? Yeah, yeah. But Sorry. just get started. No, nah, just get started and 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 you know, get, get the off book. The bench. Buy the bloody book and and <clears throat> mine's coming in uh, Australia Post hasn't delivered mine yet. But I did get a text that I've got a parcel at the post office. Yeah. So it could be your book and there I'll get you very go. excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it now, has delivered it. <laughs> uh, um, people can buy the book at your website, but uh, let's get into it. Where can people find you and start? Oh, they Contact can find, you, follow you, all that stuff. Yes, they can find me everywhere. I've got this horrendously difficult name to spell, so I apologise in advance. But, uh, you know, um, will you be popping links up, Kez, or do I yeah, need absolutely. to spell it out? Okay. Yeah. Um, the website, uh, again, I give away so much in my website because I do have that servant mentality. So, you know, hit it up. It'll cost you nothing. Just start reading and understanding this space. Uh, LinkedIn, I love I love people to connect on LinkedIn. I'm quite prolific in my um, posts as well on socials and LinkedIn. So, again, just building your knowledge and awareness. Um, Facebook I hate, but I'm on there anyway. <laughs> Cheers to that. Yep. <laughs> um, and Instagram I love, but you'll often see, you know, cute animal pictures on there as well. So I apologise about that. Uh, and excitingly, I also have a YouTube channel now. So oh, that really? is, yes, that'll be getting, uh, that's there now if you can find it. I don't know how to do that, but my beautiful practice manager is sorting me out um, and that'll be promoted in the next couple of weeks anyway. And I will put a link to that to the YouTube channel and all of the other places that people can find you in the show notes. So um, thank you. Tanya, I've absolutely loved this. And it's just, I, I, well, I love that you, one, I, 
me being the type of person I am, I, lo- I love that you're bringing love to the, you know, that people can be happy and and, yeah. and work at the same time. That's the most important for me. But I also love your passion. And, and you know, there's, there's a difference when you're working with people that are doing this type of work, people that are heads on sticks and they just sprout a whole lot of information at you. Your tick box is transactional. You're not like that. You know, you, you're so invested in it and you, you're passionate, you're immersed, you know, you, you truly want the best for people. And, and that shines through and that's what I really love about you, 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 your deep sense of humanity and deep sense of wanting the best for people. So, and that's definitely come across. So, thanks, Kez. Well, you know, at the start when you said we go for an hour, I was like, holy crap, I can't talk for an hour. Oh, yes, <laughs> and you now can. I feel like we could talk for three hours and still not be done. So, yeah, sorry, I'd planned to be a bit more succinct than that, but you know, once yeah, you take you, the lid off. <laughs> you, you've added the hour. I said 45 minutes. You just took the liberty of the other 15. And, and then, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. See, this is why I write books. It's just too much to say, Kes. <laughs> But 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 Tanya has said it, you know, very well that she is prolific with her posts and that you get a lot of information. So um, please start following her. But Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely bloody fantastic. And, you know, I just want people to go and see what you're doing and start kicking it off in their workplace because it's so vitally important that people are happy when they go to work. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for all you do for humanity, Kes. You're a gem out there too. Oh, my pleasure. But today's <laughs> on you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all Thanks right. so much. All right. Catch you soon. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Right, guys, that was fantastic. It was very deep, very complex, but at the same time, such valuable information. And and like I said, we spent eight hours at work and I know I'm underestimating because now that we're working from home, we're all bloody doing 12, 16 hours a day, which we shouldn't be doing. But, you know, we, we spend that much time doing work and way more than we spend with our families. We've got to get it right. It, it, we've got to be at least comfortable and I know we're not like Tanya said we're not sitting around sitting around wrapped up in blankets sipping lattes and you know like work's just not a fluffy place we have to we have to achieve outcomes like we have to do that but we can do it in a place where we actually feel safe enough to speak up and where we feel like it that 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 our well-being is actually valued so if you're a manager or if you're a business owner and you know you you're really keen to get this done and even if you're not you probably still should but let's just say you do value your staff um you reach out to tanya and at least have a conversation about it so her website is tanya heaney voot and that's tanya with a y heaney h-e-a-n-e-y v-o-o-g-t.com anyway that will be in the show notes and she's also got a youtube channel that she's just started so go and subscribe to that hook up with her on LinkedIn and all those kind of things. So I really hope this episode, while it was deep and complex, was truly valuable to you. And um, we we all just want to be happy. So why don't we all just start working towards that? And first place we can start is being kind to one another. So that's a bloody good place to start. So I hope you've enjoyed it. And again, thank you for joining me every week. I absolutely love that I'm giving this service to you guys and I know you'll be getting something from it. So thank you and I'll see you again next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. 
if you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.